0: It. like I'm 26 like maybe it's time to switch to beach I'm in my prime like volleyball wise and I can give it a real shot.
1: Welcome to the Just Women Sports podcast where we talk to the biggest athletes in the world about the untold stories behind their success. I'm Kelly O'Hara and my guest today is Alex Kleiman. Before she ever hit the sand, Alex was a standout indoor volleyball player and a four-time All-American at Stanford. She even won a Pan Am medal with the national indoor volleyball team. But after looking for a new challenge, Alex made a switch to beach in 2017 and never looked back. Named the AVP Rookie of the Year and twice named the AVP's best blocker, her and partner April Ross have established themselves as the best team in the world. A title they cemented while winning gold in Tokyo where they dropped just one set the entire tournament. Alex, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah. How are you doing? Are you in uh, Manhattan Beach back at home? I'm in Hermosa
0: Beach. So just a few minutes away. Yeah, And it's been busy still. I mean, I thought everything was just going to be super calm after the Olympics, but we still have one more tournament left. So um, life is still Pretty hectic, but I think it'll slow down in the next month or two.
1: For sure. I mean, it's definitely never calm after you win a gold medal. I can tell you that right now. And yeah,
0: I know. I think my expectations weren't completely realistic.
1: (laughs) Yeah, probably not. Um, But it's like the most fun thing ever. And I feel like I was like looking at your Instagram earlier and it looks like you have been having so much fun just like celebrating with friends and family. So how was that like coming back and um, and being able to actually enjoy the success and the win with them and the medal, because like no one was over there pretty much. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, the Olympics
0: were, I did feel connected to my friends and family because they were having all these watch parties and the Olympics did a good job of like after the games and we had interviews showing our watch part, our family's watch parties, but being able to come home and have a party with them and celebrate with them because, you know, they've been so invested and they've been supporting me for years. And so just to come back and have a celebration was like, honestly, the best part of this whole Olympic experience for me.
1: I know. I feel like the the celebration at the end with friends and family is always the best. Yeah. So we're going to start at the beginning, which is Manhattan Beach. That's where you grew up, correct? Correct. If people don't know Manhattan Beach is like one of the biggest places in the world for beach volleyball. But you didn't start out in beach volleyball. Your brother was first into volleyball and then that's kind of how you got into the sport. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah.
0: So, you know, growing up, my parents just wanted us to be outside. So they put us in every sport, but I tagged along to one of my brother's volleyball camps just to drop him off one day. And the instructors thought that I was in the camp because I was so tall, even though I was like two years too young to be in the camp. (laughs) Yeah. And they were like, okay, come on. My parents were like, no, she's six. Like she's not old enough for this camp. And they're like, it's okay, she's tall enough, like just leave her. And my parents came back later and they're like, oh, how'd she do? And they're like, good, we just need more snacks for tomorrow because she ate all of our snacks. Oh my God. But that was like kind of my, I know. That was kind of my intro to the sport and I think I just liked being active as a kid so I stayed involved but then it wasn't until you know I was like 11 or 12 that somebody was like you really need to be playing on this club team and I actually grew up playing beach and indoor as like a kid but then as it became time to focus on one when I was actually like getting good at the sport I went the indoor route and actually people on the beach side were like you know what you should pursue indoor there's so many more opportunities with scholarships and all of these things and professional volleyball and you can make more money. And so they actually told me like, you know, this isn't the best thing to do with your potential right now. And they told my parents that. So wow. at that point, I kind of dropped beach volleyball. Yeah. And I went the indoor route and I played, you know, like USA youth national team, junior national team, national team, college pro, all that. But then I, you know, eventually I hit a standstill with my indoor career. And that's when I was like, you know what? I've always loved the beach. I always thought I was going to go back to the beach. And it was just like the right timing for it. Yeah,
1: that's how you ended up back there. But you did, like you said, you had a very prolific indoor volleyball career, which to me, I'm like reading about you. Like, obviously, we went to Stanford together. I knew you played indoor volleyball. But to then see the switch and to win a gold medal, basically, as soon as you possibly could after making the switch was amazing. But I first want to talk about indoor. So, like you said, you were an active kid. Did you do any other sports besides volleyball growing up?
0: Yeah, I played basketball and soccer through middle school. And then when I got to high school, volleyball started taking up all of my time. So, that was when I was like, okay, like, stop playing like all the other fun sports.
1: Yeah. And at 13, you were invited to play on the U16 youth national team, correct?
0: No, I think at 13, well, actually at 12, I played on a 16 and under club team. Oh my god! And I remember that was like, that was like definitely a little bit of like just a social shock for me because obviously I'm in middle school and these girls are in high school and I'm so young and so awkward and I don't even think I'm good, but like some coach decided that you know you have potential whatever you should go on this team and then also when I was in high school I got invited to train for this like high school week for the national team and I was a freshman everybody else was sophomores and juniors and I was like oh I'm not good enough and I wrote back and I said sorry no thank you like I'm you know I just like thought that I was going to be the worst one there. And I didn't think I was deserving to be there. And they called my parents and they're like, you realize your daughter just said no to this? Oh my gosh. And my parents had to like, talk to me and be like, you know what, you should do this. This is a good opportunity. But I was so, I was so shy and insecure as a kid. And I, I think a lot of other people saw a lot of potential in me, but I always felt like I was the worst one because I'm just so hypercritical. I think that's part of my personality. And so I don't think I ever realized that I was as good as I was growing up.
1: When do you think you did realize, oh, I could go very far in this sport? Because I mean, you're 12 playing on a 16 and under team. Like to me, that's just like, oh yeah, I'm pretty good. You know, I can hang with these 16 year olds.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think because I always played up, I never felt Even when I was good, I never felt good Mm. because I was still never the best one on any of my teams. And I actually think that was probably good for my development because I was never just, you know, the best one thinking that, you know, I already know everything. I always felt like, oh, that's where I need to be. And I kept working really hard. But I think, you know, like towards the end of high school when I was getting recruited, I think I realized like, okay, there's a lot of attention on me and there's a lot of hype about like where I'm going to go to school. Like it started to feel like, okay, yeah, you know, I'm one of the more sought after recruits, but even still, like I got to college and I felt like I was like insecure. Like I felt like I was like not the best one. So I just feel like that's been a huge part of my journey. And then I got to the national team and like, you know, then you're playing with the best players in the country, you know, like regardless of age. And I wasn't the best one there and I didn't make a lot of rosters there. So I don't think I've ever felt like I'm the best. So it's weird. Like now I have a gold medal. and like, I've hit this spot. And I'm like, okay, like I guess I'm pretty good now. Oh my gosh.
1: That's amazing. Well, (laughs) people need to know this. As a high schooler, you led the team to three consecutive California State Championships and three consecutive Southern Section CIF Championships. And on top of securing the 2006 Gatorade National Player of the Year Award. Like it's funny because hearing you talk... (laughs) about being insecure and like never being complacent almost you probably like with that it was probably combined and that's like you said what kept you driven and never feeling comfortable because I think once you feel comfortable a little bit of complacency creeps in and that's kind of where careers go to die in my opinion but the fact that you like never I mean even as you were the Gatorade national player of the year like that's what all the great players get. And you still were kind of like, no, I don't feel that way.
0: I mean, I I agree. I think it was a huge driving force and it kept me really focused and motivated. And whenever I see people that think they're the best, I'm like, well, you already are. You've lost. You're kind of screwed because, yeah, you've lost. You really have. And like playing with April, for example, she's So experienced. She's an older player and she doesn't think she's the best, you know, and I feel like she's always trying to get better. And so I don't know, I just I think that's such a dangerous thing to fall into. And not that I was aware of that necessarily. But I do think it's something that, you know, made me keep working and keep striving to get better and feeling like, okay, I'm not there yet.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I feel like it was probably a characteristic that you maybe didn't like in the beginning of your career, but it probably contributed to a lot of your success throughout you know not just later on because you were successful out of your early age you just didn't let that get to your head which is very impressive yeah and
0: like even switching to the beach like I didn't even realize that this was a pattern but obviously when I came out I was one of the worst ones and I I found that really motivating again and being like oh my gosh I have so much to learn and so much to improve on and even when we started doing better I still wasn't in my mind, that good. And so I'm starting to realize as I'm talking to you about this, that this may have been kind of a pattern in my career and something that really helped propel me, you know, that I never felt like I was the best or I had reached my potential or that I was where I needed to be. And and so I think I just get so motivated knowing that I have more potential that I haven't tapped into. And knowing that there are people that are better than me and people that are working just as hard as me. So,
1: yeah, I think that makes complete sense. And is kind of a cool thing about your journey. Um, You have so much success as a high schooler, you end up committing to Stanford. What was the process like for you looking at colleges and making that decision to go to Stanford?
0: It was honestly overwhelming. I, Was able. I mean, I was lucky enough to have offers from some really great schools and I looked at all of them and I was like, these are all great schools. How do I choose where I want to go to? And I was so young and I didn't know what I wanted to study yet. And I just, you know, they all had great volleyball programs. And so I went on five unofficial visits and I almost committed to Texas. And I remember I called my mom being like, oh, I'm going to commit to Texas. And she was a little uneasy about it. So I decided to go visit them all again and take my opposite parent that hadn't been to those visits with me. (laughs) And so I didn't end up committing till a senior. And I literally, by the end of the process, I was like, I don't know. Like, I love all of these schools. They all have great coaches. They all have great programs. And then I was just like, how do you say no to Stanford? And so that one kind of just stood the test of time. I think like you look at just what type of school it is and what type of program it is and nobody ever regrets going there. And I talked to a lot of the players and they seemed genuinely happy there. And I just thought, you know, like, To be able to say that I went to Stanford for the rest of my life, that seems like a hard thing to turn down.
1: Yeah, I completely agree with you on all of those things, Stanford, (laughs) you know, yeah. I've interviewed so many Stanford athletes on this podcast, because it's just such an athletic powerhouse of a college. And it's cool to hear other athletes experiences from Stanford. And it's all very similar in the sense of when we chose to commit, it's like, can't Turned down Stanford, like Stanford is Stanford. I mean, I'm sure people do, but yeah, it's obviously a fantastic school and their athletic program, like I said, amazing. But you go in and and Stanford volleyball is like an incredible program already. So you're entering a program that has a rich history of, you know, winning. Had they won an NCAA championship yet? Um,
0: they had won. Yeah, they had won a lot of championships. Yeah. They had been on like a little bit of a dry spell. And actually, we didn't win when I was there either. Um, but then they've won a couple since I've graduated. So I think it's Stanford and Penn State that are just dominating the national championship count.
1: Yeah, I was pretty sure they had. But so... Like you said, they had kind of gone on a dry spell, but your freshman year, you lead the team to the NCAA finals. And when you went in there, were you walking into that program being like, I'm going to take the team to the finals? Or like, I'm just happy to be here. I'm going to try to learn. And like, not step on any toe. you know, like what was your mindset walking in as a freshman into a program like that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I knew that there was the assumption that I was going to play, but I also knew that I had to earn it. And I don't think I felt like I was playing super great when I entered Stanford and I was a little bit intimidated. And I, you know, you're surrounded by all these people that have been there and they've done it and they're comfortable. And I was a year young for my grades. So mm-hmm. I'm already young going onto that team. And then, you know, I'm going to college for the first time and I'm on a team with all these great All-Americans and people playing for the national team and all of that. And I just, I remember feeling uncomfortable and it took me a while to feel like, okay, like I'm hitting my stride and I'm playing the kind of volleyball that I should be playing. And so I think I was just so focused on trying to play the type of volleyball that I knew I needed to play. I never felt like, oh, I'm going to take this team to the final, you know, but I do think I realized like, yeah, I'm expected to contribute and be a big part of this team.
1: What do you think allowed you to get to a place where you could play your type of volleyball and not worry about everything else?
0: You know, I think for me, confidence is a big part of playing well. And I think I'm not even sure to be completely honest that I ever felt like I fully tapped into my potential at Stanford. Mm. There's just certain factors, whether it was injuries or, you know, being young or inexperienced or all these different things where I just, I never felt like I quite got there. I would say my senior year was definitely the best volleyball that I played, but you know, it just depends on how it lines up with, you know, which players you're playing with. Like my freshman and sophomore year, we had a crazy talented team with people that went on to play in the Olympics and, looking back, like that was probably our best opportunity to win a national championship. But at the time, like I was definitely not playing my best volleyball. So it's just so many things have to align. And at the time too, like Penn State had a crazy good team too. So I don't know if I ever look back at Stanford and say, wow, I crushed it there. You know, like I, I got better in my senior year. I definitely played my best volleyball, but I still like, yeah, I didn't feel like I was dominating by any means.
1: Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I feel like there's chapters of careers that it's like, oh, I was doing well, but you didn't feel your best. But like you said, your senior year, you did crush it. I'm just going to read some of the accolades. 2010 Volleyball Magazine Player of the Year, Pac-10 Conference Player of the Year, four-time All-American and all-conference selection all four years, but you also notched yourself in Cardinal history as the second player in Stanford indoor volleyball history to surpass 2000 career kills the second player. That's crazy. Like there's only one other player. Yeah. So what happened senior year? Like, were you just had enough experience that you felt like, okay, I I do have a little bit of confidence. I can start playing the way I want to play.
0: No, I mean, I, I definitely think I reached a certain level of health. I've been kind of injury ridden for a lot of my professional and collegiate career. And, you know, I was finally starting to feel healthy that off season. I put more time in the weight room than I ever had up until that point. And I actually trained with, the Anaheim Ducks strength coach. And I was lifting four times a week, which, you know, I was a pretty scrawny young volleyball player. So I was like actually really putting on muscle and getting strong and um, getting really healthy. And so I remember going into that season feeling like, you know, I am more prepared than I've ever been. And I really think that paid off. Like I remember my hitting stats were way better that year. Like the way that I prepared, I felt like I knew I'd put more work in than anybody. And I think that really translated to a lot of confidence on the
1: court. Do you still, to this day, is lifting a big thing in your regimen? It is. I
0: spend a lot of time at the gym, but it's definitely changed over the years. And like I said, I've been injured a lot and I've had shoulder surgery and I've had knee problems and I've had back problems. And honestly, it wasn't until um, 2020 really that I had the biggest change because I, so leading up to the Olympics, this is before the pandemic hit and I had The worst bone bruise in my knee to the point where before the pandemic hit, I wasn't even able to practice and the Olympics were like five months away and I'm seeing doctors and I'm like, how am I going to get through the Olympics? I'm just gonna have to take a cortisone shot and like try to numb the pain and all this stuff. Yeah, I was in an awful place physically. And the pandemic to me was a really big blessing in disguise. Volleyball wise, obviously, I would never wish the pandemic to happen, but um, I was able to take a lot of time off while everyone else is forced to take time off. But then I also was rehabbing and I got enough time for my bone bruise to finally start to Mm. heal a bit. And so then it really gave me time to get healthy that I wouldn't have had before the Olympics. So I got healthy and then I was able to improve even more on that. But it was during that time that I kind of had to reevaluate the way I was doing everything. I was like, okay, the way that I'm strength training is not working for my body. And I have a very unique body. I'm so tall and my limbs are so long. And so I actually ended up going to a different gym where they did like a full assessment on your body. They use these 360 cameras. They... Test your muscles and the imbalances, and they analyze your mechanics, and they really try to get to the root cause of why you have these injuries. And it has been such a game changer for me. Like, I actually really enjoy lifting now because I feel like I'm doing exercises that are right for my body, not just like, oh, this is how everybody should lift, and this is the way that athletes are supposed to lift. And I felt like I was always doing exercises that didn't feel great on my body that I knew weren't really going to help me because of the pain that I was feeling or whatever. And so just to feel like I found a place now that, um feels very customized, and it feels like it's tailored to what my body needs. That's been really rewarding. And I actually, you know, I've always spent a lot of time at the gym because I'm always trying to get healthy and I'm trying to get strong. but it's a different type of time that I'm putting in now, and it's really rewarding,
1: yeah, I think that's incredible. And I also think it's fascinating how, as athletes, like our job is to be physically fit and our bodies are our whole careers, essentially, and our minds too. But, how, as you go through your career and you learn about yourself and what you need, how you can change and adapt things. Like I personally have found throughout my career, I'm like, oh, I didn't do this for a period of time. And I was riddled with injuries as well. Like I have to do X, Y, and Z. So, um, it's cool to hear your experience in like the little tweaks and changes that you've made. Like you can see the success that comes from making those changes. Like you, in 2020, you get healthy, you change gyms you turn into an Olympic champion the next summer, you know, like that to me, that's so cool. You
0: know, I wish that I had learned and been more in tune with my body when I was younger, because maybe I could have kind of prevented some of these injuries. I think when I look like even April, for example, she's a great example of this. She is so in tune with her body and she knows what she needs. And she's like, Nope, I'm doing this kind of warm up. And I'm doing this exercise because I need it for my arm to feel fast. And you know, like she just knows. And I think paying attention to your body and really understanding and trusting that even if a strength coach or a team is like, Hey, this is how you're supposed to lift. And this is how everyone's going to lift. I think, you know, understanding what works for your body, listening to your body and like really sticking up for yourself is really important. And I, I feel like as soon as I started doing that, I felt these huge changes and, you know, I just, yeah, I guess I would encourage like every other athlete, I don't care how young and healthy you feel like if something feels Right. listen to that. If something feels wrong, listen to that. I just think that's such an important part of longevity and, you know, being able to play for more than just a couple of years. If you want to make a living of this and if you want to play for 10 years or more professionally, like you have to figure out what works for your body.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't have said it better. And I want to tell like the younger athletes, like do everything you can to be at your best early on because you don't want to be trying to like make up for lost time later on, which we all feel. Totally. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after a quick break. So you crush your senior season at Stanford. You probably still don't feel like you're as good as you probably are. But what was going through your mind as that senior season was happening in terms of what your plans were post-college with volleyball?
0: Yeah, well, I remember my coach at the time, John Dunning, pulled me into his office and he was like, "Okay, so like, you know, what are you going to do after college? And I was like, well, obviously, I'm going to play volleyball. Like, I didn't even know what that entailed, but I I just knew that like volleyball was my plan. Uh And he's like, well, you know, yeah to go abroad and you have to play professional. I'm like, oh yeah, you know, like I was just young and kind of naive and I was enjoying college and very focused on that. So then, you know, that was the first time that I realized like, oh yeah, like I'm going to go and play professional volleyball like abroad. And so I got an agent and I still didn't really know, you know, like, is this something that I'm going to want to do for 10 years or for a few years or, um, and I actually heard a lot of kind of not so great stories from girls on the national team being like, oh, I don't It sucks. You know, like all I do is watch TV shows at my apartment and they're playing in like Azerbaijan or Russia or like just countries that maybe there's not as much of a balance in life. And so I just kept hearing all these horror stories of playing abroad. And so I ended up signing in Italy and I was like, I just want to go somewhere where I'm going to have fun. And I remember getting there and I like, it was dark when I got in and the city didn't look that nice. And I called my mom and I was like, I don't even know if I'm going to like it, but like, whatever, I'm going to just if the team wants to fire me they can fire me I don't care you know like I just was young and immature I woke up in the morning and the club director like picked me up took me to this bank which was like a sponsor and there was a presentation in this town square that was gorgeous and I like called my mom back and I was like okay like I think I was just grumpy and like jet lagged like this is amazing but I did kind of have the attitude of like I'm just going to play the way that I want to play and play what feels true to me and doesn't resonate with them then they can get rid of me and I actually think it helped me kind of reach a new level because I I felt like in college, I was never fully comfortable or like hundred percent just feeling like, oh, I'm playing the way I want to play. And I think almost letting go when I was abroad and just being like, okay, I don't know how if they're going to like me. So I'm just not even going to try. I'm just going to play my best and the way that I play the best. And I felt like it made me just find a whole nother love of volleyball again. And I, I really, I think tapped into a whole nother level over there. And I ended up loving my experience and I played three years in Italy and two in Brazil And there is just something very freeing about going overseas and kind of just letting go and knowing, okay, it may not work out, but like they're hiring me. They can fire me if they want. I'm just going to play the way I want to play.
1: I love that you are saying they're hiring me. They can fire me if they want, because that's such like a... Normal job thing to say, but like it's really like they signed me. They can cut me if they want, or they can like wave me if they want. But I love that you're saying they hired me. They could fire me. Yeah, I mean, I think every volleyball player I've talked to played in either Puerto Rico, which doesn't sound terrible, but then also Russia and a lot of the basketball players too. And when I was reading that you had played in Italy and Brazil, I'm like, how did she end up in these places? Because this sounds way better to play there than to end up in Russia. And like you said, so your decision was based on like, oh, I want to go somewhere that quality of life is going to be part of the equation. It's not just for volleyball. Yeah.
0: I mean, I think since I can remember, like no matter how much I loved volleyball or how competitive I was, it was never my whole life for me. And I think I've always cared so much about having balance and being happy and like not just having success. And so I think for whatever reason, I just decided really early on, you know, I want to go somewhere where I'm going to be happy, where I'm going to enjoy it because no amount of money can make that worth it for me. And I'm in my twenties and I want to, you know, have these great experiences. I don't want to put a price tag on this amount of time in my twenties. And so I, at one point I told my agent, like, I don't want to hear about contracts from this country or this country or this country, like that's just off the table for me. And so I did accept a little bit less money playing in some of these leagues, but I knew that the quality of life was going to be so great. And I honestly had, like, I don't think there's people out there that had as positive experiences as I did. Like I loved living abroad and I made the best friends. I played for great teams. I played for great coaches. I like did really cool stuff off the court. I'd go to these amazing meals and travel and, you know, see all these things that I never would have had I gone to a country where it was all about the volleyball and maybe there wasn't that quality of life. So I think it's one of the best decisions I ever made. And yeah, maybe I didn't make as much money as I could have, but I look back at those years and I I love them and I grew from them and I still am in touch with the people that I met from those seasons. So it was totally worth it to me.
1: That's awesome. And I love hearing that because I feel like so many times athletes make the decision on money and or like what they feel like they're supposed to do. Um, I'm curious, do you feel like being overseas distance away from, you know, at Stanford, you're close to home. It's in the US. There's a lot of expectations playing at a school like that. And for a program like that, did that distance of being in Italy allow you to take the expectations away and be like, I'm going to play? Do you think that was part of it? Or it was just like a stage in your career or a point in your life where you're like, no, I'm just going to play the way I want to play?
0: No, I think it took some of the expectations off. I think I felt like, okay, I'm on the other side of the world. No one knows what I'm doing. So like at this point, what am I playing for? Like I'm playing for myself and I'm playing to enjoy this and to be happy. And, you know, obviously I wanted to get better and I wanted to succeed, but I do think it kind of freed me of all the pressure that I'd felt playing at a school like Stanford. And so- I do think that's why I was kind of able to enjoy it so much and tap into, you know, a whole nother level. But then I do think the longer I played, the more I felt like what I was doing really mattered. And like, you know, people expected something of me at that point and people were, you know, signing me and they knew that I could play at this level. So I had to play at this level. Um, And by the end, I, I think I felt a little bit more pressure, but I still knew at the end of the day, I'm like, no one really cares about what I'm doing in Brazil right now. You know, like I care and my team cares, but back home, like, Nobody is like, oh my God, I can't believe she didn't win the Superliga, you know? So I just, I think it helped me put everything in perspective. Like, you know, this is my experience and like, it's not the end of the world if things don't go a hundred percent according to plan.
1: Yeah. Makes sense. And at that time, so you obviously had left Stanford, you, you played on the youth teams, you were playing with the national team throughout Stanford, right? Like you had been, you were going in camps with the national team. Yeah. And then post-college you're playing professionally continuing to be in and out with the national team. What was that like for you? Because you kind of have touched on it in other interviews and how you were kind of struggling to find your role with the national team. How do you think that struggle affected you as a player, as a person and in that, Period of time of your career? Yeah,
0: I mean, the national team was really hard for me, and I'm sure you understand this, but like being on a team of, it's usually a team of 12 or rosters of 12. You're in a gym with 25, it's kind of a revolving door. It's like they're keeping stats all the time. If you aren't playing good, you're out of there. If you're, you play better okay you make this roster but it just to me felt like a constant tryout and I never felt like I truly found my role or I ever felt like I could be comfortable or have the freedom to make mistakes because I just felt like everything was always getting statted and it really kind of messed with my mental like just the mental side of my game and I never my whole life I felt like I was able to be free when I played and moving to the national team was the first time that I lost that and. I remember calling my sister at one point, I was a couple of years out of college and I was like, I don't even know if I like volleyball anymore. Like, I'm not having fun. I don't feel free. And, you know, like what, what's the point of all of this? And luckily when I was going overseas, like I just was talking to you about, I did feel free over there and I was able to kind of let go and be like, okay, you know, this is for me and they don't like the way I play them. I'll go home. But I had that experience for nine months of the year and I felt so fulfilled. And then I'd come back to the national team and struggle again. And I just felt like if only I knew what my role was, then I could just kind of relax and like, you know, play the best I could. And if I made a mistake, okay. It's not the end of the world, but I just never was able to kind of feel that comfort or that security in the national team. And I, and I knew it was affecting the way I played. Like I knew if I could play the way I played abroad on the national team, it would have been a different um, scenario, but I just, I wasn't. And I think when I didn't make the roster in 2016. I actually wasn't even invited back into the gym for the first time since I was like 18 or something. And it just made me
1: reevaluate everything. When you say you weren't invited back into the gym, do you mean you weren't invited back into like the pre-camps leading up to 2016 Olympics?
0: Yeah. So like when we come back in the spring, um, we usually come back, we finish abroad May or June, and then you go straight into the gym. And Mm. I got an email being like, I'm sorry, unfortunately, you, you didn't make the training team. And that was the first time ever for me. And it's not like I was that shocked. Like I knew I wasn't necessarily on the track to make the Olympic team, but I had never not made the training roster. Like that was always like, my baseline at least and it just made me reevaluate everything and I was like I don't feel good in this gym I'm not playing my best like why would they pick me I'm not playing my best like I'm not even playing how I can play abroad when I go to that gym and it just I don't know I, I got to a point where I was like if I'm not competing for the Olympics like can I even feel that fulfilled because for me so much of what drives me is just reaching for like the highest possible goal and I've always wanted to be in the Olympics and it just it made volleyball feel a little bit empty and beach had always been in the back of my mind and my body wasn't feeling super great at the time either. And I was like, you know what, like I'm 26, like maybe it's time to switch to beach. I'm in my prime, like volleyball wise, and I can give it a real shot. And the thing that was really alluring on the beach is just that there's no coach putting you on a roster or cutting you from a roster. You play in these tournaments, you get points. If you have enough points, you get into the next tournament. Like it's just very cut and dry. And I, that really appealed to me. And I think at that point in my career, I was really craving just like having full responsibility over my career. And if I lost, I knew it was on me, but if I won it, I knew that nobody could take that opportunity to play in these tournaments away from me. And so I made the leap and I remember everyone was like, no, give the national team another shot. Like you're still playing so great. Like you can make the next one. And on paper, it made so much more sense to keep playing indoor. But part of me is just like, you know what? Like my heart's not in it anymore. And I feel like I can give it a shot on the beach and I want to do that. So that's what I did.
1: I think that's incredible that you played indoor that long up until 26. And like you were in with the national team and playing overseas in great countries. And like you said, enjoying it, but making that decision. So when did you decide officially, I'm going to stop playing indoor I'm playing beach because you said not getting called back into the gym before the 2016 Olympic kind of planted that seed or maybe like pushed you towards that direction but did you go and play one more year of indoor or did you that summer you were like, no, I'm done. I'm I'm playing beach now.
0: No. So I had already signed to play one more year in Brazil. So I went back to Brazil and then I actually, I got a call at towards the end of that season being like, okay, we want you back in the gym. So I actually got invited back into the gym and I was like, okay, like I have this opportunity and I had been thinking about beach, but I hadn't made up my mind. And so I said, okay, yeah, I want to come back. And I just, I knew that I needed to say yes and think on it a little bit more because once you say no to the national team coach you're kind of just like it's hard to get back in so I was like okay I'm gonna
1: say yes and I'm gonna think about it you had done that earlier when you were a teenager you had declined your invite to that camp (laughs) so it wouldn't have been your first time I know Oh
0: anyway so I knew I had this chance to go back into the gym and I actually this is also another crazy thing is I made my biggest contract the year before I quit so like my salary was going up and up and up every year it's not like I was making good money and And then now I'm like trying to hang on to this and not making as much money and playing for bad teams. Like I played for a great team in Brazil. I made the most money I'd ever made. Um, I had been invited back into the gym, but I think there was part of me that was like, okay, let's look at this realistically. Like, are you going to be able to all of a sudden play this way that you've been trying to play? But it's been hard for you in that gym. And it just, I never felt truly like myself or like my best version of myself. And the thing that's really cool about beach is that it's just you and a teammate and a coach and everybody's going after the same goal. So your teammate wants you to do your best, right? Like yeah. they want you to be succeeding because that's how they're going to succeed. And the coach, you hire that coach. So first of all, if you don't like the coach, you can get rid of them.
1: You can fire them. They're trying to help
0: you play your best. Yeah. Which is really cool. <laughs> um, we never did it, yeah. but you know, like It was a really cool, nurturing environment that I'd never been in because on the national team, as much as people say that they're cheering for you and hoping that you're going to succeed, like everybody's out for themselves. You know, I have to, in order for me to make a roster, someone else has to not make a roster. And so it's very cutthroat. And I think everybody knew that, you know, people are only looking out for themselves and it just, it wasn't like it didn't have the magic of the environment that I had on the beach. Like it just felt like we were all so in it together and everybody was on the same page and everybody wanted the same thing. And it felt like everyone was genuinely trying to get me to be my best and play my best. And I think that's why I really thrived.
1: That makes total sense. And like you said, it is as much as, every team sport, I think it's more so national team where it's everyone should be wanting everyone else to do well, because that means the team's going to do well. But at the end of the day, national team is so cutthroat. Like you said, even with volleyball, it's a revolving door. You can get cut, people can be brought in. So it does make it way more intense and way more selfish, I think as athletes. But I guess I never really thought about how beach volleyball, it's like just you and your partner and your coach and you all want the same thing. And like, no one's coming for your spot. It's just like, you guys have to succeed. Yeah.
0: And like, you probably felt this playing abroad when you get signed to a team, they pretty much know that you're going to play. Like they're, they get a certain amount of foreigners. They know that, okay, we're paying you this chunk of money and they're going to be our starting whatever position you are. And so that gave me a little bit of comfort going abroad being like okay I have this role basically picked out for me you know and like they know that I'm going to be the starting outside hitter and I'm getting brought over there to play and so I think that gave me some comfort you know like I was like okay you know I know I have to earn the spot I know I have to play well but they're signing me because they like the way that I play and they anticipate that I'm gonna play a big role for them but for the national team it's not like that you know like it's the best of the best everywhere and Nobody is necessarily promising you a spot or saying, I see that you're going to play this role. It was like, okay, well, it depends on how you play. And if you don't play good enough, then forget it.
1: A big part of the JWS podcast is to celebrate women, especially those who boldly draw new lines to create new and improved playing fields, both on and off the pitch. This season, we've teamed up with our presenting sponsor, WIS, to share the inspiring stories of the female entrepreneurs and business leaders that are not only changing the game, but are also WIS clients. Today, we're introducing you to a woman we should all get to know, Mesa Chihada. Mesa is a lifelong candy lover who set out on a mission to remove all the restrictions on indulging in your favorite candy. After teaming up with a chef to design the treats and putting her own spin on the brand marketing, Mesa launched Behave, a brand dedicated to letting you indulge. Behave launched their first line of sweet and sour gummies in the summer of 2020. Finally, a candy with low sugar, low net carb, and all natural ingredients that let you feel good about indulging. On the road to starting Behave, Mesa's journey began in brand partnership and business development roles at places such as NFL, Uber, Daily Harvest, and SoulCycle. And while she's not building the next generation of treats, you can find her moonlining as a DJ. As Mesa would say in both life and in business, go ahead and eat the whole bag. Tune in next week for more stories like Mesa's in business, in sport, and beyond. How did people take your decision to switch like were people shocked Where was it did you make an announcement like what did you do when you finally made that decision and actually entered your first beach volleyball tournament
0: yeah no I, I didn't pull LeBron I did not make an announcement I also I, <laughs> like I don't think I felt relevant enough even to make an announcement it was kind of just like you know what I'm going to go do this and we'll see how it goes and I remember being like oh I'm going to take a few months off after my last indoor season and kind of just rest for a little bit and enjoy the time off but somebody had invited me to join their practice, I think somebody backed out at the last second or whatever. So I was like home for a few days and I jumped into practice. By the end of the practice, someone was like, hey, want to play in this tournament with me this weekend? And I was like, sure. So within a few days, I signed up for an ABP tournament, didn't know what I was doing whatsoever. We played in the qualifier. We actually got through the qualifier and into the main draw. I think I got like a seventh, my first tournament, but it was such bad volleyball. Like seventh doesn't sound that bad. But when I look back, I'm like, oh my God, I feel so bad for my partner because She just really had to carry the load, but I kind of just dove in and I'm so glad that I did because I think I knew that I wasn't great. Like I felt the freedom to make mistakes, which I think as I'm talking to you, realizing this is a big theme for me, like feeling the freedom to kind of fail a little bit and know that I'm not the best. Like, I think it was just really refreshing for me and it was like, okay, I'm just going to play and I'm going to do my best and I'm not the best right now and whatever it is what it is. And so I just slowly you know, got better and better and better. But then once I paired up with April, that's when I I think I really started improving at a different rate because I had, you know, the best player in the world playing next to me and teaching me and guiding me. And we had Jen Kessie as our coach who is a silver medalist at the Olympics. So I just had so much knowledge around me at that point, but I just dove in at the beginning and I kind of just went for it.
1: So another thing I find interesting about beach volleyball, like you said, it's you and your partner but you get to pick your partner and I find this so funny cause it's like almost like a little courting thing. Like, Hey, do you want to be friends with me? Like, do you want to be partners with me? Yeah, sure. Like you're cool or you're good enough. It is totally like dating. Yeah. Like that's it, which I think is so funny. And I feel like would make me feel so nervous or like insecure because you'd want to be wanted by your partner, but you'd want the one that you want to want you back. You know what I'm saying? Like it is, it's, it's exactly like dating. But I read that you guys met at Stagecoach, you and April Ross. And is that how you became first playing together? Because like, that's a great story.
0: Yeah. So we, we knew each other like enough to say hi, you know, before that, like we had some mutual friends. And so, you know, I'd go to a restaurant or a bar or whatever. And I'd see her. It was just literally like, oh, hey, how are you? Good. How are you? Like, that was the extent of it. Um, and then we were at Stagecoach and like I said, we had some mutual friends and we'd both had a few drinks. And at one point she comes up to me and her and Carrie had just broken up. And so she was like, Hey, you know, like I see you're playing beach volleyball. Like I'm going to need a partner for, for Tokyo. And I was like looking at her, like I suck at beach volleyball right now. Like, Why are you talking to me about this? And so I'm like, okay, like, yeah, sure. And she's like, no, like you need to get better first. And I was like, oh yeah. I mean, I know that. Oh, right, right. Then the next morning I was like, did I... Just have too many drinks. Do I actually remember what went on? Did I, like, was this real? And it was, and, you know, it was really motivating because I was like, okay, if I get better, she is willing to like consider playing with me. And that was the start of this whole discussion. And so it's funny, we've told the story so many times. And after the Olympic stagecoach reached out and they're like, okay, like we're going to take care of you guys next summer because it's just, we've been talking and we don't even say it like, oh, come on, give us tickets or anything like that. But yeah, we've talked about it so much and it's, it's an amazing start to this whole story.
1: Oh my gosh. Okay. So at what point? did April say, all right, Alex, you're good enough. Like we can be partners. So I trained
0: with her for like three days in a row. Jen Kessie, who she had in mind to be her coach at the time, kind of ran us through a practice. And, you know, I was still super raw at the time. I think there's not that many beach players that kind of have my like profile. Like I'm very tall, but I'm pretty well-rounded in terms of my skill because I played outside hitter and indoor. And so I know that she trained with a few other players and kind of, you know, went back and forth and people don't realize this, but it was a huge risk for her to take me as her her partner. Not even just because I wasn't very developed, but because on the beach you need entry points. Like it's Mm. just, it's how the system works. And I had zero. (laughs) and even though she had a lot it wasn't even enough to get it wasn't even enough yeah I literally had zero and it wasn't enough to get us into a tournament and so our very first tournament together we had to play a country quota which is where you fly all the way to the tournament so we flew to the Netherlands and we played two American teams just to even get in the qualifier and those were two single elimination matches so had we lost either of them we wouldn't have even gotten in the tournament we would have flown home and so I know it's so crazy and so we won our first match and then the second match we we lost the first set and the second set, it's two out of three. Second set we're losing and a fire alarm goes off. It was like an indoor facility. So they evacuated the whole facility. Everyone had to go outside in like freezing cold weather and we're in bikinis, you know, whatever. <laughs> and I remember I just went to the end of the hallway and I just started like, visualizing and I was like, okay, and like, trying to picture myself playing better and turning it around. And we went back in and we won that match. Then we won both of our qualifier matches and we went undefeated in our first tournament together. It was absolutely nuts. Like, not even in my wildest dreams that I think we had a shot at winning that. I was just like, let's just get some points so I like don't disappoint her and don't make her regret picking me as her partner. But we ended up getting enough points that that tournament that we never played another country quota or qualifier ever again. Dang. And so it was just the craziest start to our partnership. And, you know, like had we not done well in that tournament, it could have been a really brutal year for us because we would have been playing in country quotas and qualifiers and not winning money and not getting points. And I'm sure it would have been a lot tougher.
1: Yeah. That's crazy. Especially just hearing you say you had to fly to the Netherlands to just even try to get into the tournament. Like that to me is just wild. And yeah, she did take a big risk on you. I mean, obviously paid off, but April Ross might be the most, she might have a crystal ball and be able to just see into the future. It's like, what a choice (laughs) or decision that she made. What do you think was the biggest adjustment you had to make from indoor to beach? In
0: a very general sense, I think it was learning to read the game more and like to learn to strategize myself. I think on the indoor side, it's, such a game of speed and power and your coach is always telling you the game plan and telling you what your job is and you're just trying to go out there and do your job but when you play beach there's so much more open court and so there's so many different ways to approach the game and to try to you know beat a team and so i think i even though like you have a coach when you play internationally first of all your coach can't coach you at all during the match so they warm you up and then they go so sit cool. in the stands and i know wild. it's so crazy and at first i was like this is so dumb like no other sport does this but i actually really love it and it maybe makes you have to be really accountable for what you're doing on the court and have to problem solve. So it's like, okay, this is our game plan, but now it's not, you know, going according to plan. What do we do? And you have to be able to figure out like, okay, this is what's working. This is what's not working. How are we going to evolve from this? How, what are we going to change? What are we going to do differently to try to turn this game around? And so I think I had kind of been programmed to just do my job indoor and kind of just, not that I wasn't able to understand what was happening in the game, but like you just have such a specific role on the court with like your position and with what the coach told you to do. But for the beach, it's like, okay, I'm not just taking up the sliver of court because I only have one person behind me. So I have to be constantly reading the game and like, okay, this hitter doesn't look like she can hit right now. So I need to get off the net. Oh, this hitter looks like she's changing her arm. So even though this is the call, you know, I'm supposed to be blocking line. Well, she can't hit line right now. So I need to change what I'm doing and just ditch the plan and really just like play in the moment. And that was hard for me in the beginning because I felt like I was always caught in indecision. And I was always like, well, the play was this and it didn't happen this way. And as I got better, I think one of the things I did the best was to kind of just read the play and like really anticipate things before they happened and you know try to take up more space and it's I don't know it's probably sounds really ambiguous to you but that was a part of my game that I don't think I had developed as much on the indoor side
1: yeah but I'm just talking to you today I feel like you had always talked about like I want to know my role but you also like to play free so I feel like it makes sense that beach it made sense for you you know like you got to have control over the entirety of your game as opposed to a coach telling you what to do or you know like just trying to fit into one little box, you know?
0: Totally. Yeah. And I I do think that is a big part of it, but I also know that I'm like a perfectionist. And so I always Mm. want, you know, I want to have a plan and I want it to work out perfectly. And so I think it was a little bit unsettling at first to be like, okay, like there's nobody out here helping me along and I just have to figure it out. And some matches, especially at the beginning of my career, like they were so bad and we'd get crushed and I couldn't figure it out. But I also think, you know, it forced me to evolve and it forced me to be a little bit outside of my comfort zone and I ended up loving it and like not having a coach on the court is one of my favorite things about beach volleyball and (laughs) April and I actually game plan ourselves. Like we, we come up with a game plan and then we tell it to our coach and then we say, okay, if there's anything that we're missing or that you disagree with, you can let us know. But like, we want to feel that ownership over what we're doing on the court And in the beginning, it was like, okay, they would tell us what to do, but then things went wrong and we're like, well, we didn't even want to be doing this in the first place. Like we would have done it this way. And so once we realized that we actually had great instincts about what to do and and how to approach certain matches, I think we're like, okay, coach, like back off. Like we're going to come up with our plan and then you can tell us like, if you think we're missing something. That's
1: incredible. I love that. I'm curious, at what point did you, because you, you know, in 2017, you guys were ranked the number two duo in the world. So you like quickly became very good and clearly got enough points in the whole grand scheme of thing. Is that right?
0: No, I think we weren't number two until 2018. Okay. So our first season, er maybe entering 2018, but we definitely did not have a great first year. Like we won our first tournament, but then we got last place. And then we like had a series of tournaments that didn't go quite as well. And then we ended up winning the last one of that year. So we ended up on kind of a high note. Um, But then it wasn't until 2018 that we started playing like consistently at a high level. And then that's when I think we were ranked number two. Okay.
1: So 2018 ranked number two. And then in 2019, you had your first world championship competition and you guys took home silver. So at this point, cause the, I mean, that's, you know, riding right into 2020. Like when did you start to be like, okay, we're going to compete for a medal at 2020 or you just knew from the beginning, like if I do everything right, being with April, we'll be able to compete for it.
0: Yeah. I mean, we always talked about wanting to win a medal. So we didn't shy away from the fact that that was our goal. I don't think I ever felt like, Oh, we're for sure winning a medal because I felt like I was the big wild card on the, in the partnership. Like, yeah, she had done it. And that was really like reassuring to have a partner that, you know, had so much success, but I was like, Holy crap. Like I've never been to the Olympics. Like I have only been playing beach volleyball for a couple of years. Like I just felt Like I had to play my best to have this shot. And obviously there's plenty of games where you don't play your best. And so I remember when Olympic qualification started, which was 2019, which was a little bit before world champs, I felt a lot of pressure and I felt like, okay, I don't want to let April down and this is a huge test. And like, I just know that I internalized a lot of stress um, and not pressure from other people. I think it was just pressure I placed on myself, but I, I know winning or getting silver at world championships was like, the biggest relief for me just because points wise it's huge so we got like 1400 points which I mean it's not gonna mean much to you but it's crazy for qualification and so at that point I was like okay like we're on track now to go to the Olympics like we just have to keep playing good but like we got this big 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 finish and then I remember 2020 by the end of that year and like going to 2020 everyone kind of considered us in Canada to be the favorites and so they're like okay it's gonna be you guys in the finals which is really dangerous to have people telling you like oh yeah it's gonna be you and you in the finals because it's it's not that simple like all it takes is one bad match and you're out of it and so I found that really unsettling I was like can you stop saying that because you know we we still aren't where we need to be and even if we are in the finals like it's just it's not that cut and dry and you know sports are so much more unpredictable than that and there's so many more factors and then it was crazy too because you know during the pandemic we didn't see these international teams for like almost a year and when we started playing again in 2021 there was like three new teams that were playing insane and we're like what did they do during the pandemic like how did they get so good and so now yeah so it went from being like people thinking it was like us in Canada and Brazil to like Australia and Russia and like Latvia was even good so it was like it got really crazy leading up to the Olympics and by no means did we feel like oh this is a slam dunk like we just have to play decent like we were like, holy cow, there's so many good teams that are playing really, really good right now.
1: How did you feel as you were flying over to Tokyo? Like you said, it was your first Olympics. It's in a new sport, essentially. And you're going over with someone who's already meddled. How did you feel on the plane over there? Like, were you excited? Were you nervous? I was excited on the plane, but
0: I will fully admit that Two or three months leading up to the Olympics, I was so nervous. Like, people would be like, oh, my God, you're going to the Olympics. That's so exciting. Like, how do you feel? And I'd be like, I feel so nervous. And my (laughs) fiance was like, can you stop saying that? Like, why do you keep telling everyone you're nervous? And April's was like, yeah, you don't need to tell people you're nervous. Like, you can have, like, a, yeah, I'm super excited and deal with that, like, on your own. And so we ended up calling our sports psych like a week before we left. And I was like, I'd like need to get some stuff out there because I can tell I'm really anxious about this and I don't want to screw it up. And I know this is maybe a chance that I'll never get again. And so April was like, you know what, I'll come too. Like, I'm not as nervous as you are, but I'll I'll tag along. And I'm so happy that we had this meeting because I was just, I think it's so much healthier to air like how you're feeling as opposed to internalize it and pretend like, okay, I don't feel any of these things. And April was able to understand maybe what I'm feeling and vice versa. Like she had certain things that she felt, you know, pressure to win gold because she had silver and bronze and, you know, like just things that it's almost like people keep shaping the type of pressure you feel by every comment that they say to you. And it was a really like good opportunity for me to kind of just get it out there and be like, okay, you know what, like, none of this really actually matters. And like at the end of the day, people are not spending the rest of their lives thinking about how I did at the Olympics. And so I was able to kind of just reset and like, calm myself and then it's actually really crazy because once I got to the Olympics I wasn't nervous at all like I almost had a lack of adrenaline and maybe that's partially because of the lack of fans and spectators Mm. but April said she was really nervous at the Olympics and I just felt I was like oh it's just volleyball like I got to a point where I like expected it to feel harder almost and I got there and I was like oh it's like all I have to do is play volleyball this this isn't that hard
1: that's incredible I love that reaction and like the build up and then you got there and you're just like oh we've been doing this before (laughs) It's like I can do this (laughs) (laughs) totally well you guys make it to the final and like you said people thought it was gonna be you and Canada in the final but it ended up being you and Australia and they were one of the people who came out of COVID clearly doing something right in the downtime um how did you feel going into the final because like you win the semis right and when you win that you're like I'm getting a silver or gold like it's the best feeling in the world because you're like regardless of what happens, we're at least getting something. I mean, gold is definitely better than silver. Totally. But what did you feel like going into that match? Were you still just as calm?
0: Well, first of all, you touched on something that I think is... Really was like a big discussion for us. Is like in the semis, we were really nervous because it's scary. If you lose the semis, then you're playing for bronze. You maybe go home without a medal. And so winning the semis was such a big relief. And we both were like, "Oh, we got a medal! Like yes." But we talked to ourselves and we're like, "Okay, like we can't be happy with silver. Like I know it's a huge relief and I know we have a medal, but we made it this far. We can't just be happy with silver. And who knows if we'll ever get this chance again? How much are we going to regret it if we go home?" And we knew we weren't as hungry in the final because we felt a little complacent or something and April is saying too that when she got silver when they made it she's like I just felt so happy that we were in the finals that I felt like I maybe I didn't fight as hard as I could have and so we tried to work it up in our minds like okay if we lose this match we're not getting a medal we tried to kind of create that reality or a scenario for us and I am so grateful that we did because I do think we had this sense of kind of desperation out there not like desperation but just like okay we have to win this it's mm-hmm. not like oh we got our medal cool like silver or gold they're both great but then like you said like we had struggled with Australia they were playing amazing they run a really unique system that you hardly ever see so it's a really uncomfortable way of playing and we were actually two and three going into that match so we would lost more times than we had won against them Dang. and we kind of crafted a different game plan than we had ever used against them which relied a lot on our serving and you know even if you say we want to serve really tough like sometimes your serving just doesn't click and so our game plan pretty much relied on serving as hard as we could at them and taking them out of their system completely and it worked and it was the coolest feeling ever like just to be out there and knowing that this team that you struggle with a lot like your everything is going the way you had hoped and I remember it was Towards the end of the match and I think we were up like I don't know if it's like 17-12 you know like a pretty decent lead I was in service even I was like oh my god we're about to win gold medal and then they served me and I like shanked the ball so like point for them and then I did something else stupid and like something else stupid and then all of a sudden it was like 17-14 and I was like oh my god don't lose <laughs> don't lose the gold medal but I had this moment just where I was able to kind of step outside for a second and realize like what a cool moment this was but it was also a little bit distracting because obviously yeah. you shouldn't be thinking those things while you're playing but for me it was actually like one of my favorite moments of the olympics because it was just like this moment of realizing and enjoying it even though we did lose a couple points after that but um it was just like a funny moment of the olympics that i think i I really like had this like pinch me moment
1: i love that and i've definitely done that in games before like oh my god we're gonna win this but then (laughs) we've lost and so anytime that i think that on the field i'm like get that out of your mind right now but it is a cool thing to like feel (laughs) Which is hilarious that you felt that and then dropped some points. So you you win gold. Like, how did it feel to have a medal, your first medal ever be gold to be placed around your neck and like to be standing next to April who took a chance on you? And to know that you made this really hard decision just a couple years ago and you are now at the pinnacle of your sport, essentially. Yeah.
0: I mean, there was a lot of disbelief. Like, we just kept looking at each other, like, oh my God, I can't believe we won gold. And especially for me, you know, I had gone through quite a lot of failure on the national team leading up to the beach. And so there was a part of me that was just like, you know, can this really happen? And can this really turn out as good as I'm? hoping and dreaming and thinking that it will. And, you know, as athletes, it's so hard to finish first. Like only one team does. And there's a lot of great athletes and teams that, you know, are so close, but there can only be one, you know? And so I knew even though we were really good and even though we were playing well, like it's really really freaking hard to win gold and just the fact that everything fell into place and that everything went our way like it was crazy and I remember getting interviewed after the match and we we're doing our little press thing and I just kept being like oh my god like we won, you know like there's just so much disbelief and even in the weeks after at home sometimes I have to be like oh my god I want a gold medal like that's that's sick but um <laughs> I don't even know if it has fully sunk in yet. And it's been a couple months.
1: I love that. That is a great way to sum it up. It really is just like, oh, this is so cool. You know, like you just, it's like a, you're like a little kid yeah. with a dream that you actually achieved, which is, I think, amazing. So do you have any good stories from like celebrating the gold medal? Yeah.
0: So after we won, obviously there were no fans, no family, no friends no nothing, but we had such a great crew, like our USA staff, they're awesome. And we actually really loved being around them and they were, were all so great at their job. And so, you know, they were basically slaving away behind the scenes for us for the last few months. And even at Tokyo, it's like a hundred degrees and they're, you know, like collecting our saliva and turning it in for COVID tests and just doing like unglamorous jobs. And so it was really fun for us to be able to celebrate with them. And Somebody tracked down a couple of bottles of whiskey from like outside the bubble and we nice went in one of the rooms in the village and we just were like telling stories for like a few hours. Then we had to go do some press and we met back up at their hotel. We took a, a shuttle back to the village at 6 a.m. Like we just stayed up all night, all morning, just telling stories and laughing. And that was like probably one of my favorite moments from the Olympics. I love that.
1: People don't realize like everyone sees the athletes win, but the staff, I mean, our staff's too, is just like incredible. And the amount that they do behind the scenes is just, I don't think people would realize how much goes in and how much sacrifice they put in for the success of the athletes. So that's cool. You're able to celebrate with them.
0: Yeah. And one thing, like when we were hanging out, like I just, kept making all of the staff wear my medal. I was like, listen, I'm gonna have the rest of my life to wear this medal. Yeah. Like you guys deserve to like feel this and you helped us and you were so instrumental. And at first they were always like, no, it's okay. It's okay. And then once they put it on, like you could tell how cool they thought it was. They start taking selfies with like the medal and it. That's been one of my favorite things too. Is like even coming home at our party with my friends and family. I just, I let everybody wear it. I'm like, you know what? Like this is their medal as much as it is mine. Like they've supported me and made this whole journey like so worth it. And so I love letting people put it on and seeing their face. And then at first they're always like, no, it's weird. Like I didn't win the medal you did. And I'm like, no, like put it on, like it's fun, whatever. And then they put it on, they're like walking all around and like taking (laughs) pictures. And so I love sharing it. Yeah.
1: I, I felt the same way about when we won gold in 2012. Cause it's funny. I got home from, Tokyo with the bronze medal and put it next to the gold medal and i was like the gold medal is just dinged up like has little nicks and dents and like the the ribbon is all kind of fraying because like you said you just pass it around people put it on hits against bottles whatever so it makes me happy to see it like that because it means so many people got to enjoy it which i think is really cool so i'm glad that you were able to like do the same thing and you felt the same way like to share it and how much people enjoy putting it on. Like it's the coolest thing.
0: Yeah. I know. I I had moments where I was like, Oh no, like it's going to get ruined if like someone's supposed to drink. And I'm like, you know what? Like it's so much cooler to look at it in 20 years and have it be torn to shreds knowing that it was like enjoyed and whatever. And people were, were celebrating it than to have it, In a trophy case, and it's pristine, but it's like, okay, what did you do with it? You know? Yeah, for
1: sure. Well, I've taken up a lot of your time today, and I've loved chatting. This has been such a fun conversation, and um, just hearing about your journey. But we're gonna hit the repeat questions before I let you go. So the first one is, if you weren't playing volleyball, you would be dot dot dot. I would probably be doing
0: something with food, like either a food photographer or a chef or something. I in my free time, I'm always cooking and I'm always eating. And people always say that my face doesn't truly light up until I'm talking about food. So I would say something like that. I love
1: that. I love to cook too. We should cook sometime together. That'd be fun. We should. How do you take your coffee?
0: Lately, I've been doing an Americano with either like regular milk or almond milk. Um, but I also love a good cappuccino. Nice. I actually don't drink caffeine either. So it's always decaf. No way. Why not? I started doing it a couple years ago based off of some like studies with hormones and balancing hormones and it's just not that great for females to have a lot of caffeine and like I never drink coffee for the caffeine hit anyways I just love the taste of it and so I was like okay I don't need it to wake up like I just yeah same so I was like why am I doing this to my body and like on your like insulin levels and all these different things it's not super great so I just I don't drink
1: caffeine anymore interesting I'm gonna have to look into that. Yeah. A little bit <laughs> deeper. All right. Who's been the one person in your life that's always kept you motivated? Um. I don't know if I've ever
0: been like, there's ever been like one source of my motivation. I feel like it actually comes pretty intrinsically. I've definitely had a lot of support, though, I would say. And I, my parents, especially like, they've been through a lot of ups and downs with me. And there's times where, you know, I'm, super upset after a loss or, you know, and they're always encouraging me and they're always supporting me and they're always like, you know, helping me realize like there's more to life and how lucky I am. And so I would say my parents for that.
1: Shout out to the parents. That's always a solid choice for sure. Um, okay. Two more. They say work hard, get lucky. How much of your success is predicated on luck? So
0: actually, when I talk about the Olympics, I feel like there's a little bit of luck involved, you know, like you're drawn, you're this, and you're that. But I also think it takes so much hard work and preparation to be able to capitalize on that luck. So I still don't think luck is ever enough to bring you success. But I do think that there's always like a little bit involved.
1: So what would you say number wise or percentage? Oh, I would say like, maybe 15% luck. Okay. I dig it. All right. Last question. You've accomplished so much already. Where do you go next and how do you keep pushing?
0: Well, I feel like I have so much potential that I still haven't tapped into, which is probably the coolest part of all of this is like, I do feel like I've reached a high level and I've had the success, but I still feel like every day I go to practice, I'm like, wow, I still can get a lot better at X, Y, and Z. So I think I just honestly enjoy, you know, I want to keep enjoying volleyball. I want to keep getting better and I want to see how good I can get
1: I love it well that is all I have for you today thank you so much for taking the time Alex this has been like I said such a great conversation and um your story is amazing and I can't wait to see what you continue to accomplish throughout your career so it's pretty cool
0: yeah thanks for having me it's been fun to talk about Stanford and share our Olympic experiences
1: for sure Thanks so much for listening. Our show is produced by Just Women Sports. For more great sports content, go to justwomensports.com and be sure to subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. I'm Kelly O'Hara, and you've been listening to the Just Women Sports podcast. Catch you next time.